thank you for everybody for coming. Um, uh, I'm Max Evgen. Um, uh, this is uh, Chad Weinert, uh, Megan Real, and David Nunez. Um, we're here talking about how um, academic museums are sites of collaboration, iteration, and exchange, um, and how they're kind of uniquely sorry uniquely positioned to be that. Um, some of you, how many of you actually work for or around or in academic museums? Wow, awesome! Woohoo! Yay! Okay, um, so full disclosure. Um, I no longer work for an academic museum. I still work for Michigan State University, but I moved out of the museum into digital humanities recently. Um, but I'm going to be uh, talking about examples uh, from my recent appointment at the uh, Michigan State University Museum. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, so I'll get to like what we're actually doing here today. Um, we're doing basically just like a half and half thing. We have an hour in here. We're going to do um, a, a talk a, a little bit about the examples of how the organizations where we've been working um, ha show the, um, uh, the this this collaboration, this iteration, this exchange, and, and what that looks like. Um, and then sort of have a, a little bit of discussion uh, amongst ourselves about some of the themes that, that come out of this. Um, but then we want to open it up, and we have some prompts for you. Um, so the, be, uh, clearly because like there's a lot of people in academic museums here, so you probably have a lot of thoughts about this too, right? Um, and which we would, had hoped for, and so I'm very happy to see so many people um, in academic museums um, here at this session. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can come to some concrete takeaways about like uh, uh, how, how um, maybe other museums can collaborate with them, or, or, what, or what collaboration looks like that can benefit uh, more more people broadly, right? Um, so, uh, we'll just start here with uh, what collaboration has been looking like. Um, so, um, exhibitions uh, at the MSU Museum um, are, uh, in, in, many of them are co-created uh, with faculty. Um, the, the way that the exhibitions are built is that anybody, actually any, any um, uh, uh, student, staff, or faculty um, at the, the university can propose an exhibition. Um, and so often we get faculty who have different um, uh, research areas or interests that will either do something of their own work or will bring some other person's work into, into their, um, this one um, example that I have here um, was uh, an exhibition called um, On the Job in, Ad in Abilene that uh, Darcy Green, a professor in uh, uh, journalism, um, uh, brought uh, about her research on uh, individuals um, and the nature of work in Benin. And um, uh, you don't see it here, but there were a number of actual uh, um, technological things in this exhibition. Uh, there was a, uh, an app that um, was called Postal, where people can email pictures of the exhibition to other people um, that they found compelling. Um, there was um, some uh, 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 audio of a uh, barker um, uh, who uh, was barking, or, uh, had, a, had a big uh, loudspeaker um, uh, talking about the nature of his work and, and trying to get more work in the area. Um, and there was a 360-degree video um, on a screen that uh, was a, of a marketplace um, in Benin that was in that area. Um, another one that I want to talk about really quickly is, is uh, the increase in um, the MSC Museum co-creating with community. Um, the MSC Museum recently developed an exhibition with the Army of Survivors, um, who uh, are survivors of uh, the sexual assault um, of Nasser, um, and uh, had some very, uh, like, uh, were very mistrusting of MSU as an institution because they had been betrayed by the institution after all this, these, these other horrible things. So it was a, um, uh, a, 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 a 
a difficult and challenging thing to do, but they ended up um, co-creating this exhibition um, with uh, uh, the Army of Survivors. And no, no decision that, that was made in, in that uh, exhibition was made without the express permission of the Army of Survivors who were working on the project. Um, and just to give you a sort of sense of scale of this, uh, uh, this woman, um, I believe her name is uh, Amanda Tomashow, is standing next to all these, these plates that they have up on the wall, um, and some of them are pictures of, of people um, who are in the Army of Survivors, um, but all of them represent individuals who came forward, um, even if they weren't identified, and that's a tiny section of this large wall. The scale of it is incredible. Um, and um, they, they recently won an award from uh, the Michigan Museums Association about um, uh, um, uh, community engagement um, and, and, and award for like, the best community engagement of a project. Um, so we'll move on to uh, Williams College of Art. Welcome. Welcome. My name is Chad Weinard once again, um, and my voice is a little bit low. <laughs> so I ask that you bear with me. Uh, karaoke may have something to do with it. Um, but we have I'll, excellent NPR voices now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We'll dial it in. Well, we're coming from sunny San Diego. Um, welcome. Um, I'm a manager, Mellon manager of digital initiatives at the Williams College Museum of Art. Um, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk um, through some of these, these concepts. And collaboration is something that we hold very dear at um, the, the Williams College Museum of Art. The picture you see here um, is taken in a gallery we call Object Lab. And it is a space that is given over to faculty members. Um, we work with faculty members from across campus. Um, each of those faculty members chooses a selection of works of art from our collection that they, um, that, that they teach with. Um, and we really encourage um, teachers from outside art, the art department and the art history department to make use of our collection. And so you'll see in this um, gallery um, uh, collections from a, a neuroscience class and a physics class, perhaps a, a math class. Each semester the selection is different, um, but it's always fascinating. Uh, this is an action photo. You'll see a, a geosciences teacher um, uh, in the middle there with, with his class. Um, what you can't see on the other sides of these walls is that it is an active teaching space. So the wall he's, he's pointing to has a projected image from above. Um, the wall behind him has a little ledge for a laptop and a, an HDMI cable, um, all of which uh, remain in the space uh, to signal that it's an active, uh, usable, learning space. Um, and so this is a place where uh, uh, collaboration is, is, is front and center for us. Um, this is an exhibition called Pink Art that is also a, a, an example of um, curricular collaboration for us. This was an exhibition that was up about two years ago as I just started my project at the Williams College Museum of Art. Um, it was a collaboration with the computer science class Five of those students in the computer science class were tasked with um, uh, uh, scanning through all of our collection images and sorting uh, and ranking our collection by its pinkness. Um, this was the task that was given to them and um, each of those five students uh, uh, used very different approaches 
to um, writing their algorithms and to finding which works of art might be pink. Um, uh, in the end, it was, uh, when it started, I should say, it was, uh, we were most interested in um, bringing the, the viewpoints and skills of computer science to bear on our images and, um, and uh, a cultural heritage collection. Uh, at the end, though, um, we were illuminating uh, coding as a creative writing process, um, and we were having great discussions about how a museum collection and museum collection data um, can help a computer science student um, find out about bias in data, find out about a uh, personal point of view um, and historical artifacts in data. Um, this is right at the time where um, a larger community and, and culture um, more broadly was, was critiquing uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, for just such things. And so it was a great example of, of bringing not only digital to the, to the humanities, but, but um, humanities to the digital side as well. I'm Meg Reel, and I'm from the Museum of Texas Tech. Um, so I was going to take this a slightly different angle. We've done a number of things that are collaborations with academic um, staff members on campus and faculty in the museum creating exhibits, but digital is actually something that's really sort of new for us. Um, so I wanted to focus on the Lubbock Lake Landmark, and that's one of our satellite facilities at the Museum of Texas Tech. It's a nature preserve as well as an archaeological site. Uh, we have 12,000 years of continuous human occupation and trails and an interpretive center. And over the last three years, we've added in digital programs there for the first time, really building off of a collaboration of different staff interests in-house. And then we're laying the foundation now for greater collaboration with students and faculty in creating exhibits. So as I said, three years ago, we didn't have an official digital program, and we don't really have an official digital team. We have a group of us with different interests coming from different areas. So we had someone from archaeological field research, I came out of collections, and then somebody else coming out of administration, and then with the support of our administration started building these programs up using things like 3D photogrammetry to scan our objects and make them more available to people, um, 3D printing, and then eventually an app that we're using as a platform to build different interactives in the gallery space. And um, so through that, we've gone from basically static text exhibits over to having multi-sensory exhibits, which is something that was really important to us, so that we have actually tactile 3D printed objects going in conjunction with an app we have developed now where we can have audio tours that we put up quickly and things like that. And then through this, recently a staff member has started a digital heritage course there as well through our museum science program, and we've been using that to encourage students to get involved, and hopefully over the coming years we'll see more collaboration in that way where we start having more digital creations by students in this space. And so specifically, at least this semester, I know one student was asking for ideas of things they could do for their final project that might actually get to be incorporated. So we're definitely at an earlier phase in using digital for our exhibits at the Landmark, but I'm hoping this is a way we're gonna take collaboration into the future and have some really um, co-created exhibits with students and faculty. Good morning. Um, so the MIT Museum is very much a museum of the university. We have about one and a half million objects in our collection that are all related to people, research, um, culture of, of campus, um, including Kismet. Kismet is a 
artifact that uh, that was made by Cynthia Brazil. She founded the uh, field of social robotics. So this is how robots and human beings learn from each other. And we have this object on display right now. Um, the problem, though, is that this is a robot, and robots are intended to move around. So what we've got in our space is this robot that's just static. It just sits there, and so you don't really it doesn't you don't have a conversation with this thing. It's just there in this perpetual perpetual grimace. Um, <laughs> so the, the, we, we acquired this kind of in the, in the 80s, and uh, at the time there really wasn't a great collaboration on how we were acquiring these kinds of, uh, kinds of um, objects. So this particular robot is in conversation with another uh, artifact in this, this exhibition uh, called InMotion, and uh, this is research from the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory called Moscope. Um, next, please. And this is a video. I'll try to talk through it. Um, the idea of this research is that they are able to take 2D videos of people moving around and using machine learning and computer vision, try to understand and infer what the 3D model of that image might be. So this ballerina, you only see her in a 2D video, but maybe you can try to figure out what's going on when her hand is behind her back and when she turns and try to get the full model of that, of that, that uh, character. Um, I'm just let me let this, let this play out through until it gets to uh, show you one of those 3D renderings because you can see the backside of this in a way that you wouldn't be able to see. You don't have the information from the video itself. Um, so there it is. Okay. Next, please. So we wanted to show this research in our this exhibition, and so what we started this conversation with this researcher, uh, uh, who started with this. Could be, he was using this as his major example. This runner, two D version of a runner moving. Um, they were able to interpolate the back part of that, that image, and the way that they were showing out this work was by printing out a 3D representation of this, of this model. And that's, that's awesome, and, and that's great, and we're actually showing that artifact also in the, in, in, the, in the exhibition. But the problem is that this is intended to be a, an animation. Uh, that one, okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so it's it's that three that 3D model we just have it there, but it's static. It's actually not an animation, so you're not it's sort of not proving the point of the research. Um, let me skip to the next one after. So we collaborated with this researcher to try to help him tell the story in a different way. Oh, unfortunately, that's going to show. Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah, that's good. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> the wow moment is not here, but uh, the, we we worked with an MIT spinoff called Looking Glass. Um, what they've invented is a, a volumetric display, so it's a way to show, um, to look at 3D graphics without having to wear goggles or anything, just it's a, a piece of glass. Um, and because it was the most appropriate way to show this particular research, we decided that was the right technology to use um, so that actually you could spin the, the sculpture around and have it be a new kind of sculpture. Um, but this collaboration was from, you know, not only with us and the researcher, but also another sort of uh, spin-off of MIT, and it was really sort of a, an intense co conversation about how we as a museum could be of service to the researcher to be able to tell that story. Okay, so uh, now we're going to move on to um, how these are sites of iteration and what that looks like. Um, so, uh, most recently, uh, a project that I was in charge of at the MSU Museum um, was an augmented reality uh, pilot project, um, or minimum product, whatever you want to call it, um, although that's a pretty useful way to talk about it. Um, 
that we, uh, um, you know, we, we um, in, in, a, in a, an institution that was um, extremely uh, cash-strapped, uh, we actually had some money that was going to be put for some particular thing that we decided not to do that thing and then to put money instead into um, buying these devices and um, uh, um, getting stuff from the uh, Unity Asset Store. Um, and we worked actually with a, a student um, who was hired uh, as a student worker um, to uh, develop this program. Um, just to see what, uh, how how it might necessarily work, and so we we decided to to launch this um, this app in front of a, a mural um, in this uh, a hall of um, animal diversity um, that anecdotally um, nobody looks at. Um, like people walk through there and they just walk right by it. Um, at least pretty pretty much all the staff would tell you that, but we never really did any specific timing and tracking to, to really confirm it. Um, but we still decided to, to test it out there. Um, and, um, you know, e e even just by uh, like a two, three minute thing where animals popped up and maybe a few questions and, and interpretations popped up, uh, when people did a survey after that, over 60% of them said that they learned something about animal adaptation or behavior, um, which um, I, uh, I've done a lot of evaluations of ex exhibitions and Pretty much, when you do evaluations right after the experience, nobody ever says anything about the central goals of the of the exhibit, even when they're plastered all over everything in the ex exhibition, right? So, like, um, that was a pretty successful thing. Um, like I said, I don't work at the museum anymore, so I'm not sure what they're going to do with that, and that'll actually feed into some of the conversation we're going to have in a moment. Um, but that's uh, an, ex an example of well, we have we have some money we can try something and 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 see like how this works. Not to be like we didn't like publicize this as hey come use our augmented reality thing. It was really just we're going to use this and test it and see see what happens and how this works and and why it might be something that we want to get more into. Great iteration is such a great I think and key opportunity for academic um, museums at the Williams College Museum of Art. Um, uh, I was trying to think of, of, of key examples for us, and I think data, most broadly, um, is, is uh, where that iterative process works for us. Um, early on in my three-year project, we released our um, collection data uh, as open access. The primary audiences for that were faculty and students. Um, it was just as e easy to release it for the whole world, so we did that as well. Um, uh, our, our MO for the collection data is to get it into classrooms, get it into projects, get it into people's um, uh, art uh, and design process as well. Um, each time it is used in that way, uh, we are, are um, focused on um, keeping a conversation going. And so um, uh, we find out uh, how it was used um, what the problems uh, with it uh, that may have been found. Um, uh, we find out about the gaps in it, uh, many of which we know about, many, many of which we don't. Um, and we get new ideas for, for uh, adding to it. Um, when a, a, a class uh, has a student that's interested in, in um, comparing uh, dimensions over time, uh, for instance, um, that was something that came up early on. Uh, we were able to focus our attention as a dev team on that, um, pulling that dimension data out of TMS, which is not a, a, a small thing. Um, uh, but those kinds of cycles, uh, releasing the data, um, tracking it 
making sure we're in the loop in terms of how it's being used and then hearing about ways to, to improve it um, and, and make it more useful for the next group um, is, is a great example of iterative processes for us. Um, this is another one um, that, that I really like. Um, this is a, a visualization of the whole collection of the uh, Williams College Museum of Art, 15,000 objects. It's organized by classification. Those are the big chunks. Um, the brighter blue um, items are those that have been um, used most within exhibitions. We're keenly interested in how the collection is being used um, and even even on staff, we'll look at a, at a visualization like this um, and uh, we'll take it as a challenge. We'll look at those spaces that are not blue, um, the lighter white uh, squares. Those are, those are items that haven't been circulating, that haven't been used. Um, we'll pull those out. We might uh, feature those in a curatorial meeting, brainstorm li potential linkages among um, curriculum areas or professors we know or students interests um, and figure out ways to get those in, uh, in action, in use. Um, once those are in use, and this has happened um, uh, a dozen times, we'll, we'll pull out an object um, that hasn't been used, we'll figure out connections that might work, um, uh, we'll suggest those to a faculty member, they'll be used, um, and most, usually when those are used, they'll start circulating. They'll get used again and again. Um, the, the, the trick with a visualization like this is, um, is to fight against that confirmation bias, right? Um, and to pull out those items that, that haven't been used. Um, and so uh, I guess the key takeaway there is that it's a learning process. Um, if we can inspire someone to use it, we can learn from that use and get it used some more. So an iterative process has been really critical to us coming from building everything in-house and really low to no budget at any given time. So we've been trying to play off of staff skills. We had someone doing the programming, someone doing the modeling, and someone doing 3D printing, and then trying to come up creatively what resources we already have and what we can make, and then try new interactives quickly, and then rebuild them based on visitor feedback. And we've been using this to really build support for a program and using that sort of evaluation um, to make sure we're really meeting visitor needs, and if it doesn't, we'll pull it quickly. So we've been treating this very strongly as a lab, and I think that's something that is challenging and that we don't have the big budget, but it's actually been somewhat beneficial in that we're really forced to think critically about what and why when we're doing different things. So on the, oh, that's, yes, okay, um, the second one. So on this slide, um, one of the very first things we did was we took somebody's just super basic scan of one of our um, sculptures outside, and then some um, previous basic content where we were looking at image recognition in a mural, and we took our um, summer camp classes, and we had them just play with different things in a really basic format to see how they work together, how they learn with the iPad, what actually had meaning for them, and we came up with some really interesting things. They actually all really wanted to work collaboratively together to scan a mural to find content within it, but that alone wasn't enough for a learning outcome. So we took that and we went with that sort of curiosity and we pulled out from our exhibit themes, one of our main themes was which animals are extinct, which are extirpated, and which are extant in a certain environment. And we used that to pull out an interactive based on their feedback where we 
when they scan different animals, it would tell you what animal, some facts about it, but it would color code it. So there was almost a challenge to that. Um, but the first iteration of this, we tried using something a little fancier with AR and things like that, where we'd make different po content pop up. And what we found was that actually it made things too cluttery. It didn't have that same benefit. So it had that sort of wow factor, but it didn't have the educational goals that we wanted. So we found that out through feedback through surveys and through just sort of um, informal group testing with children in some of our primary user groups, and we were able to change really quickly to an interactive that did have meaning. So even low budget, we were able to focus on what we're doing and why through using this iterative process. And then another area, we tried this on, is, I think it's one slide up. Oh, so yes, um, so we used, because we had small resources and we managed to get a grant to have iPads for the gallery, but we developed everything else in-house, we created an audio player and we used leftover exhibit content to test out audio, extra audio content for the gallery so that we weren't just text-based anymore. And we used that to get support, and now we're going forward with that to try and iterate and evolve um, visual descriptive tours for users that are visually impaired and things like that. And we'll use the same platform, but really we've used things that we can get off the ground quickly at first just to try and build support for why we need these sort of things in the gallery and then reuse the same resources. So the idea of iteration is baked into the DNA of the MIT campus quite significantly. Um, the motto of the place is men's it manus, men's it manus, hand in mind. Um, the idea that you sort of make things to learn about how, to, how, how those things work. Um, so it's our job as a museum to provide facilities and resources for students and faculty to make things as, as best as we can. Um, so in, if you're familiar with the MIT architecture, there's a, a sort of an iconic building that's got a dome on it. It's like where the students like to play pranks and put police cars on top of it and that kind of stuff. Top, the dome itself is a library, um, but on the first floor is the uh, studio in Compton Gallery, which is literally in the heart of this central building at MIT. Uh, it's in the place where uh, along the infinite corridor, which is a, um, it's not really infinite obviously, but it's a place where, where uh, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of students kind of walk by through that space. And the idea, you, you might have a stereotype of MIT students, and I'm, I'm gonna say you're probably not wrong in most cases. Um, I can say that, I'm an alum, but, but the, the <laughs> uh, so people, the, the, a lot of students probably more identify as scientists, as technologists, as engineers, not necessarily as science communicators or uh, uh, designers even. Uh, so this space is, an, is intended to be um, a fluid place for iteration where we as museum staff can help them tell their story in a different kind of way uh, that they might not be used to. And so what ends up happening here are the little projects get made that then get put into a gallery space that's right there as well called the Compton Gallery. And through some iteration, some of those things evolve into projects that are stable and, and are able to be supported in the main museum. Um, in the main museum, we do have this uh, uh, program called Projects and Prototypes. Um, and this is very much about taking works in progress. Like our expectations that, that these, these exhibits will last you know, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, um, they'll break. Uh, but the, it's, they're intended to give uh, students and researchers a way to have access to our audiences to, to learn about how people are using um, these interfaces or their, or, their, um, or their research. So it's sort of active, active data collection for them as well. It's a way for, um, you know, there's, there's definitely dialogue between um, our audiences and uh, our researchers so that there, you know, there's definitely this, ex this exchange that's happening in that, that space as well. And then finally, we have uh, what's, what feels like a maker space to a visitor uh, called the Idea Hub. So it's staffed by, by our, our, our 
team and you can kind of drop into it on a weekend or, or whatever and they'll say, hey, what do you want to make today? And there's you know, all sorts of tools and resources to you know, 3D printers, this, these sorts of things. Um, so that happens, and it's sort of some of that is sort of loose programming. We do offer some kind, you know, particular you know programs on some weekends and that kind of thing. But we also um, this is also another place for for researchers to come in and iterate on their own projects in a in a more sustained and deep way. Uh, so this is an example. This the student here, and I'm sorry I forget her name, but she uh, uh, has this project where she has DIY, um, I guess they're bioengineering kits. So if you want to learn how to like splice genes at home. Um, she sort of invented uh, kind of a take-home kit for this, and she was prototyping it with, um, with real visitors uh, as she was developing this process, and she sort of spun that out into a company called Amino Labs. Okay, now we're going to talk about how uh, these sites are um, um, designed for public exchange. Um, uh, at, at the MSU Museum, and then I guess this, this could apply to iteration as well, um, but uh, we, we decided to do a thing that we called the Museum Access Hack, um, where we enlisted people across campus for uh, a couple of different um, events. Um, these are the individuals who did the, the first one, inclusive of myself, and uh, Denise Blair, who's the uh, second from the right, who's the head of education at the museum, um, and then other um, uh, uh, staff and faculty across campus, um, to go into each of the galleries uh, with a laptop, and open up this, a Google Doc and just type everything that's on the walls. Because there's so much content in the museum th th and we don't have the source con we don't have the source documents for it because um, it's been there since, I mean, some things have been there since the 60s, some things have been there since, since like the 90s and it's just the, like, they just didn't keep stuff. So, uh, and, and it's been a really interesting experience because we've been like going and, and just typing these things out and realizing, um, that doesn't happen anymore. That's not called that anymore. That's like, and so we're, we're going through, but the, the, the reason to do it is, is that once we have that, we can make adjustments, but we can also do things like translate. Um, we can do things like um, uh, uh, make it more accessible in a variety of ways, um, why we're calling it the access hack, because that once we have all that material, then we can, we can do a variety of things with it. Um, so um, I know they're not there yet with all of it, but uh, they're, they're, they're definitely making some progress on it. Um. Right, this is an image um, from an immersive interactive installation that just went up in the last uh, month or so at the Williams College Museum of Art. It's called All at Once. It's um, a collaboration between my team and uh, a studio in New York City called Studio The Green Isle. I'm not actually not gonna talk too much about the installation itself, but I, I would love to focus on this idea of public exchange. Um, uh, for us and on our campus, the art museum is one of the few places um, where a faculty member or a staff member or a student um, can access a public audience. Um, a lot of the spaces on campus are meant exclusively for students, exclusively for faculty members. The art museum is, is one place um, that is optimized for that exchange between campus and the rest of the world. Um, and uh, we, we when we work with faculty members, we um, uh, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle, emphasize this um, fact um, to uh, that the museum can be a place where um, a computer science professor's ideas can get out to the world, for instance. That is one of the things that, that this installation did. It allowed um, our computer science faculty 
to think about um, machine learning and AI in a new way um, and to get those ideas circulating uh, with, the, with the community and, and audiences more, more broadly. It also allowed us as a museum and as a digital team to think about um, uh, collection interfaces um, in, in a broader way with our public communities um, and not just as, a, as an institution or as a team. So that idea of a museum being um, a public exchange place within a campus um, is key. So I took this a slightly different direction as well, but since we're building up a program for the first time, we wanted to really look at, um, with digital content, what will keep people from interacting with it. So we looked at that sort of inclusion and um, how we build accessible interactives and having a variety of different content delivery, but we also looked at our community. And so we made sure that anything we had was available on site for a checkout. Nobody had to bring their own device. And then we also looked at we were trying to brainstorm different reasons people might not be able to interact with our research through digital, and one we came up with was seniors who might be less comfortable. So as part of that, we ran a 10-week digital course for seniors where we started from basic turning the device on and off and how you swipe and everything like that and ran them all the way through until by the end of the 10 weeks, we did a capstone where we focused on how you can go to museums and how you can ask for different devices for checkouts, how this can help with you want, if you want to try different sorts of learning experiences, and they all got to try out our app, try out some things in AR, go practice learning photography skills around the landmark. Um, and so that set us up. We we're hoping to set ourselves up as we're developing these digital programs. If we're going to try and exchange with community, how do we really do that and make sure that our whole community is actually benefiting? And then the other way we focused on exchange is how do we present our academic research on site. So we're an active um, archaeological research site, and every summer we run excavations. And there are public tours and things like that. You can go down and see the excavations. We have one large family day every summer. Um, so it's not just an interpretive space. It's active research that's going on. But in general, that's closed through the winter. Um, and sometimes objects are just too fragile for visitors to actually see on exhibit or they're needed for research somewhere else. So we also thought about exchange in terms of how can we really share this creatively with visitors. Um, and to do that, we focused on using some 3D modeling and 3D printing, but contextualized with why we want to show this specific object so that they can come in and explore in different sort of sensory ways, whether they want to see it in augmented reality in the gallery using the iPad, which is the um, two users on the far left where they're manipulating an ancient bison bone or whether it's the 3D printed versions, which I have some other photos of that, so that people can come and have that tactile experience. So our museum is about to go through a major transition to a new building on campus. Um, and as part of that, we're doing a thorough rebranding and um, really just a re reiteration of a mission to um, make MIT's research and innovation accessible to the world. Um, and part of that is very much leaning into this idea of having deep conversations with our constituents and audiences. Um, you know, the stuff that's happening on that campus affects us on a daily basis in very profound ways. Uh, so uh, we, we think that we can be a place where we can have real conversations with, with, our, um, with the public about, about uh, research and innovation. So one example that we did, we had an exhibition from last year called Big Bang Data, where uh, this was actually a traveling exhibition that came through. Um, and it was a lot about um, 
you know, what happens in a world where there's so much data collected about us on a, on a regular basis. Uh, because we, we, we take traveling exhibitions, but we always put the MIT spin on it, or at least give a, you know, some, some con contribution to it. That's, that's our point of view. Um, so there's the work from Joy um, Bulamwini. Anybody can, Bulamwini? Uh, she is uh, the founder, she's a researcher at MIT. She's the founder of something called the Algor Algorithmic Justice League. And she's really looking at things like um, dat data bias and uh, you know, things like you know, facial recognition software has, or data has been trained on white faces and so she was not being recognized by these things. So not only did we show some of her work in the gallery itself, but we also did a quite an extensive sequence of programming um, for you know, lectures and um, sort of hands-on workshops to kind of tackle these issues with our public. Um, and then around that same time, we also uh, hosted this exhibition called The Enemy, which is a collaboration by journalist, artist, Kareem Ben Khalifa and uh, MIT professor Fox Harrell, who runs the Imagination, Creativity, Creativity and Expression Lab on campus. Sounds like a cool place to be. Um, he's, he's innovating on different storytelling techniques. Uh, so this was a VR experience in our gallery. We cleared out the entire first floor to host this thing. Um, it was a separate ticket that we had to, um, that people would buy and we had to like hire up staff and it was a, it was a big deal and really audacious for us to try. Um, but the idea is, let's get to the next one. So uh, Kareem Ben Khalifa went to a variety of, of conflict-ridden spots around the globe. Um, you know, Israeli-Palestine, uh, Congolese uh, war-torn war areas. Um, uh, there was a Colombian drug, uh, drug uh, gang, um, drug warfare place that he was uh, investigating. And he did, uh, he interviewed um, combatants from opposite sides of those conflicts and used, uh, with, Fox, with the collaboration of Fox, used um, 3D scanning as he was doing this to collect the stories from these people in a 3D model. Uh, then the experience is you, um, you, as a visitor to the museum, you put on these VR goggles and we've, we, we put motion capture in the ceiling and like literally what you're seeing in the VR space is a white gallery and when you reach out and touch the wall in the white gallery, you're going to feel the wall in the, the, the space. Uh, so, but it's, it was very, it was, this was a 45 minute um, exploration, like you're in this, this, this white gallery for, and it was intense. What would happen is you'd be in there for a little while, you, there'd be a, like a, a some sort of image on the wall, maybe some text, and s suddenly you sort of see in your periphery this character come through, and it was one of these combatants um, that has been scanned, um, and the, 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 there's one that goes on one side of the room and the, the opposite uh, side of the conflict on the other side of the room, and then you go up and you kind of just hear them tell these really deep, passionate stories, and they're just trauma, the trauma that, that they experience on a regular basis. So you do this for like, and it's tough. You know, you're hearing about their families and what's happening, and you get to the end of this thing, and sort of the payoff is, unbeknownst to you, the system was kind of uh, observing you as you were interacting or listening to these stories, and it would not make any value judgments. It would just say things like, "Hey, you were listening to the Israeli person for a little bit longer than you were the Palestinian, or you were making more eye contact with the, this one versus the other one. What do you think that means?" And that's it. It was just a provocation. What do you, what does that mean? Um, the, the, this was using sort of artificial intelligence research um, alongside the, the art from the, from the journalist, um, but really as a place to like, just go there. Let's, let's, figure out, let's figure out what these things mean and we can be, a, uh, as a university, we can play a place to have those conversations in exchange. Okay, um, so we were gonna uh, spend time talking about um, uh, a little bit amongst ourselves, but we spent all of our time talking about the projects. Woo! Uh, so 
and, and I was gonna like bring out some themes to, to discuss, but we'll just bring this, uh, open this up for everybody, and we have a microphone here that we can bring out uh, for everyone to keep uh, for accessibility purposes and for the recording. Um, I mean, you know, we because we, we we were talking a lot about these projects before we had this this session. Like, what were we gonna talk about? And and one of the things we talked about was like, okay, how do we get buy-in for digital from administrators? Right, um, and this this might be something that like I think anybody here could probably talk about in terms of any institution, but um, in particular, like in in um, in some academic museums, maybe less so in the MIT Museum, just because of the nature of the, the of the university. Um, but like as opposed to like the MIT Museum where I previously worked, right? That that that's the 160 year old museum, a natural like science and culture, natural history stuff. Um, you know, so it, it's going to be a, a little bit different. Um, what uh, what what does anybody have any particular thoughts on any on how you've done that or uh, uh, how, what kind of challenge that's that's presented for you in your context in academic museums? And we won't have any identifiers, so you know it's not a Chatham, Chatham House rules session, but. It may sound bizarre, but in order to have some successes with digital in the gallery, we had to have successes administratively with digital first. Yeah. So looking at business process analysis, find out where there's gaps, find out where there's opportunities for replication with inaccurate information, showing them successfully in small increments, how if they change practice or use different tools, they could improve or reduce those issues. And then once they become more competent and fluent using technology as a team in their administrative work, they begin to become more open to thinking about how they might use that technology in the galleries. But like I've had very little success getting technology in the galleries. It's a very long game, so. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that um, actually, um, surprisingly, I, I uh, I had a pretty easy time just doing stuff in gallery. It's, 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 as long as the exhibition team necessarily wanted it, then that was something that was going to happen, right? Um, and there wasn't really a constraint on that. But um, and and then uh, that and, and a lot of that that of my time spent there was before we had a full time director. Um, then when we got the full time director, um, th th this this particular individual is it. it, it um, doesn't have an aversion to, to digital stuff, but uh, it, um, it just has a lot of ideas all the time. And so it, it's, it's more like um, trying to sort of focus in on the thing to do. <laughs> um, and uh, the, like when we did the AR thing, that, that was actually something that, that, the, that the exhibition manager and I decided that we should press the trigger on and do. It wasn't something that he said we should do. Um, well, and that started before he came in, right? So. Um, but uh, uh, it will be interesting to see if they do anything with that because, like I said, I don't work there anymore. So I did that project. We have the results from that. I don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, but uh, oddly, that like certain things have have like certain decisions about digital have been made very easily just because I could convince this person uh, through like things that would interest them um, that it would work. Context may vary. Um, I'm at a at a small liberal arts college. Um, but if I can show that a faculty member is interested and um, perhaps a group of students, and it doesn't have to be a big group of students, and it can be one faculty member, 
um, I can go to a, my director and say, um, we have an opportunity. And um, sometimes that's enough. Um, and it has been enough for, for several of our um, most formative projects. Can I react to the, to the assertion that um, it's automatic to digital buy-in to at MIT. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, <laughs> well, I, I, I think that there is absolutely the expectation that when somebody comes to the MIT museum, they're going to see something digital in the galleries, or they're going to, and for better or worse, right? Because what that does is that introduces some pressure into um, our our job to just throw stuff in the gallery for the sake of throwing stuff in the gallery without really evaluating why we're doing it or what what how does that really advance the storytelling that we're trying to do. Um, it's also, uh, and I realize everything I'm saying and about to say is extraordinarily privileged for you know, being at the university and the resources that we have there. But things like, uh, you know, we, ha we have these conversations all the time. Why would a student come to the MIT Museum where we're, you know, we are scrambling for cash just along, along alongside any other department. Why would somebody come to the MIT Museum when they're doing so many cool things in their own dorm room? And why, why, it's really about how do we get these students to care enough about, you know, old computers or, you know, so it's a sort of storytelling is a little bit different from that perspective. Um, my, you know, I, I also have this, you know, this fortunate situation that we are doing this building move, so there's a capital campaign, and like there's a lot of energy right now around, let's get a like amazing media wall and like let's raise money for that. No, first let's uh, let's get it like a like let's stabilize our ticket sale system. Let's stabilize. <laughs> so these sorts of things, which yeah. as an academic museum, we've actually not had to really think too hard about. Uh, is we kind of fly under the radar, and the, the university is not going to let us go out of business, really. Though when we move to this new spot, the it's really centralized on on a subway stop, and it is you know the spotlight's going to be on us in a tremendously new way, and so like the kind of digital. Um, buy-in I'm trying to get is like, let's just make sure we can, like, we're going to sustain there, you know, and that's, that's, um, that's the harder thing because as, as an academic museum, we're run by a director who's faculty, uh, who is a lot more interested in the, I guess they love to say it, he's a lot more interested in the, uh, the, the, this content than maybe the operations of the place. So I think you raised a really good point, and uh, my question just following up is maybe not necessarily how do we get buy-in for digital from administrators, but how do we define what that buy-in is and um, ensure that we're all on the same page? And I don't know if anyone has an answer for that or some success stories. Um, well, it's not fully a, a success story, but just to your point and to that question, I mean, we have to be our, our own biggest advocates, and what that means is being absolutely steeped within our field and immersed within it, and then using that knowledge and your experience to communicate with your staff. So what I ask for is small um, time to do presentations at all staff meetings based on successful models that I see going on in museums, whether that's in collections access, technology and accessibility, digital strategy approaches. So it's sort of building knowledge and awareness for my staff, not my staff, but my colleagues, um, which is a real challenge. So at my museum, they recognize the value because my position exists, which is really um, more of a strategic digital manager position, but they don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing there <laughs> with that said. So 
again, there's not one answer. It is context, but you, we all have to be these incredible advocates for ourselves, and we need to share what's going on in the field for that awareness to build capacity. So just another quick example is that our collections manager and our cur curator, they really, they just know software systems that service their very specific siloed needs. They have no sense or understanding of how to leverage that for really some incredible, amazing things that are happening that I think they'd be excited about, but they need to be exposed to those. Yeah. Great, thank you. I think um, to, to follow up on that too, like what what does the buy-in look at look like, um, is a is a great question. Um, for us, it feels like we're in a little bit of a different space. Um, we don't have a lot of technology um, in the galleries. We don't have big screens in the galleries. Sometimes we'll have an iPad, very subtle, very kind of you know next to the to the bench over there. Um, but we do have a lot of technology in the galleries. The exhibitions I showed you were technology and digital driven. Um, uh, the Pink Art exhibition, for instance, was by all accounts a data visualization. Um, uh, in accordance with the um, opportunities and the ways that the w Williams College Museum of Art um, uh, works, we did that data visualization with actual works of art in a physical space. Um, I love that that can happen, um, that those digital ideas can be expressed in the way an art museum um, best expresses itself in um, physical terms. Um, so that the way digital can, can um, uh, work its way out in your museum um, doesn't have to be in gallery or internal or fancy or splashy. It can be systems. Um, uh, and it can also work in line with the way your museum is optimized. Mm -hmm. um, I, we're running out of time a little bit <laughs> from what we planned, uh, so I just put all the rest of the sort of questions that I was going to have for this discussion up here. Oh, yeah, did you, did you want to add something to that? That was the same question. But yeah. So I think for us, because we're getting started recently, um, and we didn't have the digital before, we used um, even just informal evaluation throughout as much as possible to really show that need. And I think the way we viewed that we were having that sort of success in buy-in is um, from being involved from the first exhibit planning meeting for an upcoming exhibit. And, so. and that, 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 that's a challenge. And, and we've had an incredibly <laughs> supportive director who's been yeah. amazing. But. Yeah, and, and if, you, if, you, if you're lucky enough to, 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 be, to, to be recognized that you're there from the first meeting, right, in those situations, I think for digital people in general in these museums, it's really important because all, all too often, like, the meetings happen. You're not there. Um, when we were discussing what we were going to talk about here, I, I, something, something sort of came to my mind because we're talking about iteration so much and how these are sites for iteration, all those, all these projects that you saw uh, of, of what happens around, okay, so we're doing all this iteration and we're sites for this. Um, are we supposed to be the ones that are like scaling up? Yeah. Are, are we the ones that, that like, uh, you know, can we? Like, are, are we supposed to do that? Is, is that um, something, uh, you know, and, and then I, 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 as a test, I went yesterday to the um, MVP, moving on to MVP session, just to see just what they're talking about. Um, and, you know, big focus on Agile, right? And um, and I can see some of that as possibilities in some of these projects, but I know that, like, in, in terms of my museum, uh, the AR project I showed you guys, that took a year and a half to do. Um, so it's iterative, but 
it's not fast, right? So it, that like that that couldn't necessarily be agile, um, but I mean that there there's a, there's a possibility of um, uh, 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 I don't know. Is there is there some need, like, or because uh, what's this iteration for? Is this iteration for something after that, or is this iteration for the sake of iteration? Um, I, don't, I have so many questions. In, in my experience, again, I think it's context. So I'm at the, the Low Art Museum at the University of Miami, and um, there's just a lot going on in the university. There's a lot of innovation and creativity, and people are interested in experimentation. So right now I'm trying to leverage the iterative process to do proof of concept that would then clearly be useful for going after grants and donations. So. A quick example is there's a class, it's called the CoLab. It's part of an MFA in interactive media at UM. And so each semester, the class chooses an organization to work with and then create something that services their needs. The class is made up of web designers, coders, engineers, et cetera. So right now they're doing a digital visualization project, um, trying to build an API to connect to our collections management system. We're working closely, the university, with Magic Leap, which is a, an AR platform. So two groups are also creating a proof of concept to experiment with a AR. None of these would be gallery ready for our general visitors. They'll just sort of be, again, this proof of concept, this iterative thing where, but the museum is closely working with the university in this kind of research capacity. And to me, that's really exciting. And then, so we as a community, if it's true that there really is capacity that we are more iterative than the rest of the field, that's something we should really figure out, see if we could measure and talk more about it because that alone is, uh, seems like <laughs> we've achieved something to model for the rest of the field. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean that that's something that that actually when I went to that session yesterday, I was like, okay, okay, this that that doesn't really that's not really the identity of what I'm seeing from the one I was working in and other ones that I that I've talked other other people from other organizations I've talked to, but yes, that point that well, this is something that that is, that is like somewhat unique to us. There are bigger organizations doing iteration, yes, but this is as as these are sites like specifically designed for that. Um, that that is something I feel like that's something actually special that we can um, take uh, put forward and and uh, 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 promote as <laughs> like that's that's the, the the amazing thing about these spaces right or one of them right yeah I think uh, to, just to build on that I think for us um, we want to embrace the opportunities of being small um, and uh, think critically and and it's it's part of our DNA then to to share uh, those learnings um, that happen through iteration um, and perhaps be a lab space for the museum sector more broadly. And I think that's an opportunity for academic art museums. Um, for us, that also relieves us of the pressure to be big and to have all the constraints that, that come with that. Um, so we, we see it as opportunities. 
Um, there's another uh, sort of outcome that we have in the session, which was like, okay, let's talk about how other non-academic museums might like work with um, academic museums in some particular way. And, I, and, that, and that's how I was kind of envisioning that question of, of the scaling up, right? Like may, maybe it's something where there's a partnership to develop something. I'm, I'm thinking in, in uh, specifically uh, the, the Eli and Edith Brode Art Museum um, at MSU um, is a contemporary art museum on campus and they just got funding, well not just, it's about a year ago, to get to funding um, from the Knight Foundation to develop these um, labels. And the, uh, Brian Kirschensteiner was here and did, did a presentation about that here um, that are, and even Brian says, they're not, it's not really labels, right? It's it's beyond that. But they're but they're they're just like testing it to see what how it's going to work, right? And in, in that model, it's like I see that that like that that that's that's entirely what Brian's talking about doing is we're not making a product, we're not making a deliverable. We are testing out this thing to see like what we can do with it because once once you start proving what the capabilities are, then somebody else can actually take it, right? And and do something else with it, right? Like yeah, they could use it that museum, but that's probably, that's probably meant to, to be in that museum and beyond there, right? Um, do, do we see any other sorts of opportunities like that where, we're, where people are developing stuff and then that it's meant to be something that's going to be extended further or is this just something that we're like developing just for the museums themselves? Well, I think our, our big advantage is that we have access to faculty maybe in ways that uh, external museums might not have access to. I mean, sure, they can form their direct relationships. Maybe there's ways to be more formalized around um, collaborations with these external folks that are, um, you know, I want to talk to that AI researcher at MIT, then let's go work through the museum to get, to get at that, and that sort of builds out, it helps out the entire field if we can start doing stuff like that. So just um, adding on to what you were describing about connections to a bigger world and using the museum space first. Um, at our institution, we um, had partnered with an artist, contemporary artist, Khalil Joseph, to develop a project that he was working on and showcase it across campus. Um, that was then officially premiered at the Venice Biennale um, mm -hmm. earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So that was an example of trying to I mean, it wasn't going to come internally. It was like the splash and the appeal of connecting with a, a you know, named artist. Um, but what, what was interesting, and this was a, a thought or a question I had that came up earlier, was like in the course of that project and hosting it, um, we ran into issues with the overall university IT security system. Mm -hmm. um, I'm at Stanford, and so they... Um, we don't even have like on-site IT or digital strategy people at all at the museum. So in this case, the artist wanted to have like a direct feed <laughs> into pushing out his content into the museum, into a dining hall, um, into one of the student gathering spaces. And it was really, really, really challenging to mm -hmm. set that up, mm -hmm. to not even have the capacity in-house to start that conversation, to provide confidence or assurance of what we were doing. Mm -hmm to just logistics with an artist who's traveling all around the world. I mean, it was... And I mean, maybe that might have been, or that, that could be an opportunity to express to other others in the university the yeah. sort of needs, right? And that goes back to what this gentleman was talking about, about that administrative yeah. <laughs> buy-in. It's like one thing to try to cultivate that within um, a very lean staff and then to have kind of this realistic but also like kind of I don't know um, 
concerns about security from mm -hmm. the university IT level. Right. Um, and then like the issue about David, what you were mentioning, you know, like why would people want to come here when they're doing really cool stuff in their dorm rooms and yeah. they're getting funded like immediately? Yeah. yeah. Um, so switching audience and who we're trying to cater to, we're now more of a kind of looking at international tourists who are coming to the campus as if it were like visiting, mm -hmm. you know, in their mind, their form of the Met. It's like part of the tour route through Silicon Valley. Visit Stanford, visit, you know, where places you can get through that <laughs> you can't get into a lab, but you can get into our museum, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have any answers, but I'm just appreciative of the things that are being stirred up from this group. Yeah, so. th thank you. Uh, that's a great thing to add to this discussion, I think. Um, and I think that actually is uh, time for us. But, oh, we have one more? Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, let's, so, not being from the museums, but from the IT side of things, um, get your IT folks involved from the start yep. um, instead of calling them when you really need them, I guess. Because um, yeah. you'll get more buy-in from them and more help and more of the how can we make it work instead of you need to make it work now. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that is just the plug for the IT conversation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I know most of you don't have an IT on staff, but you might be able to befriend or try to get somebody from the university IT to listen to you. Yeah, I don't think anybody at this conference is averse to um, having digital come first in the discussions. Um, I would also add accessibility. Um, that if we're thinking about those things first before we get into anything, then that, it, it, that can only help, right? It's a lot easier, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to start building it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a great example, and, and I think they go so well together um, to, to get these, um, these, these groups, uh, because IT as well, and I know this from personal experience, they love to be involved with a public-facing art project um, in the campus museum. Mm -hmm. that's, that's fantastic. Um, and in the same way that you're saying, and I, I, I would love to, to add your point to um, what I said about... Um, getting faculty members and students involved, that can sometimes um, push a project forward. In the same way, if you're at, at an art museum, um, if you can get an artist involved, sometimes that, that changes everything. And, and that's, a, and that's a, a starting point. I totally agree. Get your faculty members, you're totally Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pro provost will, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. Have a great end of your day. Thank you for sticking it out to the end of MCN and coming to this panel. Thank you very much. Have this great discussion.